Welcome to Crazy Enough to Win. I'm your host, John Grubbs. Welcome to the show. Now, we are still in coronavirus lockdown. And for those of you listening around the world, I am in the top right corner of East Texas. And while today's podcast is going to have what I would say a global impact, it is most specifically going to address the way I see things here in the good old USA. So the title of today's podcast is The COVID-19 Lockdown is Essentially Over in the USA. That's right. Today is April 21st, 2020, and you heard it from me. It is essentially over. And people say, what does that mean, John, essentially over? Well, that's what I'm going to explain to you today. So I heard something really interesting yesterday that we have a prison in Ohio, and this prison has 2,500 inmates, and they tested all 2,500 for the COVID-19 virus. And get this, unbelievable, 1,800 of the 2,500 tested positive to coronavirus antibodies. This means they were exposed but didn't necessarily get sick. Only 105 out of the 2,500 had symptoms for the virus. People, this is huge. This is big because what this means is that there is a huge, if you look at this prison as a statistical control group, there is likely a huge population of people who have had this virus, created antibodies to this virus, did not get a symptom, and are now able to block the virus in our communities. So people are starting to get very optimistic about recovery here in the USA. And it's time to allow people to take and make their own protective measures. You know, we are a country that is founded on freedom, not safety. The root and the core of the American experience is freedom. Now, let me, let me preface what I'm going to share with you today by saying I am devastated, devastated by the sad news regarding every single death from coronavirus. And every single digit on our screens in the 4,200 plus deaths have family members who are grieving and in pain. One person is too many. Now here's my thought for this podcast. Could this virus make us the victim twice? Two times. First, a victim from the illness. And second, a victim from the economy. And I want you to think about this news dated April 19th from Nicholas Rolander with Bloomberg News. And I am not comparing Sweden to the U.S. or New York specifically. However, I think we can learn from their response as we prepare to open our economy. And stay tuned until the end. You do not want to miss this.
Sweden's unusual approach to fighting the coronavirus pandemic is starting to yield results. This is according to the country's top epidemiologist. And you've heard me talk about this guy before on other podcasts. But Anders Tegnell, he's the architect behind Sweden's relatively relaxed response to COVID-19. And he told local media that the latest figures on infection rates and fatalities indicate the situation in Sweden is starting to stabilize. This is April 19th. This is two days ago. And Sweden, if you may not know, left its schools open, primary and middle schools, its gyms, its cafes, its bars, its restaurants open throughout the entire spread of the pandemic. And instead, the government, well, they used a common sense method. They urged citizens to act responsibly and to follow social distancing guidelines. So they trusted their citizens to do what was right. So let's see how that turned out. Let's let's talk about that. So the spread of COVID-19 across the globe is triggering different responses across national and even state borders. And as authorities struggle to contain an outbreak, which much remains unknown about, it's unclear which strategy will ultimately prove most effective. And even experts in Sweden warn it's too early to draw conclusions. But here's the thing, given the huge economic damage caused by strict lockdowns, the Swedish approach has drawn considerable interest around the world. Those of you that follow this podcast know that I have several several uh, shows that talk about Sweden's approach. Now, part of the approach that they have relies on having access to one of the world's best functioning healthcare systems. And at no stage did Sweden see a real shortage of medical equipment or hospital capacity. And tents set up as emergency care facilities around the country, just like in the U.S., have mostly remained empty. So let's talk about the death rates in Sweden, because that's the number that matters to a lot of people. As of Sunday, this past Sunday, Sweden had reported 1,540 deaths tied to COVID-19. This is an increase of 29 from Saturday, and that's considerably more than the rest of Scandinavia. But, but, here's the big but. It's much less than Italy, Spain, and the UK, both in absolute and relative terms. So listen to what Tegnell said. He said, it isn't only a high-level Swedish approach. This is, this is an idea that the, the country may be over the worst part of this virus. And they haven't locked down completely like we have. you got to remember that. They tried something different. And the trend we have seen in recent days, this is according to Tegnell, with a more flat curve where we have many new cases, but the daily increase is stabilizing. And listen to what Karen Tegmark, Weisel, who's the head of microbiology uh, at Sweden's Public Health Authority, said on Friday. We are seeing the same pattern for patients in intensive care. So things are starting to flatten all over Sweden. Remember, this is the 19th of April. So remember that date. Just two weeks ago, the picture was considerably bleaker, and Prime Minister Stefan Laughlin suggested that the government may need to review its approach amidst the prospect of thousands of Swedish deaths. In particular, the failure to protect people in nursing homes has stood out as a clear weakness which has contributed to a higher death rates 
than in neighboring countries. So again, I think they're determining that the, the people who are most vulnerable do need to be protected. But listen to what he went on to say. He said the protection for people in elderly care should have been better. This is Lofin, the prime minister. And we need to look closer at what's going wrong. Yet overall, his strategy has won approval among Swedes and his personal popularity has soared. So I have a high confidence in Swedish authorities that manage this, according to Volvo Cars CEO Haken Samuelsson said in a, in a phone interview. He said it's hard to balance, to, to find a strike of balance that, well, gives you the right safety for your people and the right safety for your economy. But listen, this is the CEO of Volvo. He said, I have full confidence in the measures that Sweden has taken. Volvo, which was forced to halt production across Europe and furloughs about 20,000 Swedish employees, said they will resume production at its Swedish plants on Monday. That was yesterday, the 20th. And our measures are all based on individuals taking responsibility, and that is also an important part of the Swedish model, Samuelson said. So, looks like Volvo is opening up yesterday. Now, let's talk about the Swedish economy. Sweden's COVID-19 strategy may ultimately result in a smaller, albeit historically deep, economic contraction than the rest of Europe is now facing. This is according to economist James Pomeroy. While Sweden's unwillingness to lock down the country could ultimately prove to be ill-judged, for now, if the infection curve flattens out soon, the economy could be better placed to rebound. So he's saying if it doesn't go too deep, it's more likely to rebound. So this is why I'm telling you that the lockdown in the USA is about to be over. Now, Pomeroy went on to say that Swedish characteristics that help, well, it's because people listen to what the government says, and more than half of Swedish households are single person. So they're not a quite an exact comparison to the USA, so it makes social distancing a little bit easier for Swedish people, and more people work from home than anywhere else in Europe. So they kind of, well, they kind of work from home anyway, and they have all have access to fast internet, and that helps large parts of the workforce stay productive away from the office. And while many other countries have introduced strict laws, including hefty fines if people were caught breaching newly minted social distancing laws, Swedes appear to be following such guidelines without the need for legislation. Trips from Stockholm, Sweden to Gotland, which is a popular vacation destination, dropped by 96% over Easter weekend. This is according to data from the country's largest mobile operator, Telia Company. And an online service called City Mappers tracked that there was an almost 75% drop in mobility in the capital. So the people are making their own decisions to be careful amid the virus. And I, I love the way they had that approach. They didn't just assume that people were going to act crazy or irresponsibly. They assumed the opposite. Sweden also recently pushed back against the notion that there's little to no social distancing going on. And here's what, here's what they said. We don't have a radically different view. This is according to Foreign Minister Ann Lind when she was interviewed. She said the government has made a series of decisions that affect the whole society. And it's a myth that life goes on as normal in Sweden. 
So I wanted you to have a picture of what's going on in Sweden because I think it's a great, it's a great recipe for us to start recovering. So with that in mind, Sweden can be the canary in the coal mine when it comes to reopening the U.S. economy. So with that in mind, here's my thought-provoking question for you. Do you think we are overreacting to COVID-19? It's an honest question. Do you think we are overreacting to COVID-19? And some people say yes and others say no. So here's what I believe. I believe we did the best thing when we said, let's pause 30 days to slow the spread, to bend the curve. We did that. Now, it's time to get back to work. It's time to get back to work carefully, responsibly, and aggressively. We did the best we could with the information we had about the virus. I am not a Monday morning quarterback. We did it. It is done. And we have sunk cost for the decisions we have made. That means we've spent the money, we've lost the money, and it is gone. It's time to move on. That being said, does anyone else think we might be embarrassed by our response to the virus if we don't open sooner rather than later? Now, until there's a vaccine, it's unfortunately not likely that we may see a second, well, it's not unlikely that we may see a second or even a third wave of this virus, according to Peter Marks, who is the director of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's Centers for Biologics and Research, and he oversees vaccines. Are we going to shut down again and again? That's my question. If we see a second wave, are we going to shut everything down again? If we see a third wave, are we going to shut it down again? How many shutdowns can the U.S. economy afford before it collapses? And what percentage of the population is immune? Well, we don't know that answer yet. And <clears throat> I do believe an answer is coming very soon. The statistics that I shared earlier, there was also a study done in L.A. County in California but here's the deal. Even if immunity isn't lifelong, the virus may have infected enough people to make it hard to find new victims. Remember the study I said in the prison, 1,200, 850 had had it, never knew they had it. And of that 850, only 120 had symptoms at all. So there may be thousands, hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of Americans who have had this and well, we didn't even know it. And if we have enough people who were infected, it would mean we'd be getting herd immunity through natural immunity, even before a vaccine is developed. And, you know, this is, this is what's, I think, important and not being said. We don't like to talk about herd immunity because it allows people to get infected in order to get better. And when this virus comes back, it's likely to hit the hardest areas not severely infected the first time. This is according to Gregory Poland, professor of medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. And he said that, you know, the outbreak has predominantly been on the two coasts. Wave two, he says, will be in the interior of the country where there has been a lot of susceptible people. So here's the deal. People with antibodies don't catch it and don't transmit a disease to others. 
they become roadblocks for a disease. And here's a powerful question. I'm not saying I have the answer, but here's a powerful question. Do people at low risk need to get the virus, recover, and develop antibodies? Interesting question. If you are young and healthy, would you like to get it and recover so you have partial or complete immunity? Hmm. I guess that depends on whom you might infect along the way. And another data point is not in the statistics. And the, this, is, this is where I think about all the people that I know who are germaphobes. You know, germophobia is not in the models. These are those people who avoid germs constantly. And there's enough people that we all know who, well, you know, they, don't, they, they, they run yelling, kicking, and screaming from, from anything that might expose them to germs. And here's the sad part. Here, here's the sad part I have for the USA. Too many people in the press and in the political landscape do not care about lower infection rates. Instead of celebrating the good news, it's not as bad. People are political and they're blaming other people. And does it seem like some news outlets are happy to see the economy shut down and unhappy to see the economy opening opening up? Hmm. Sure does to me. Do you think they are attempting to create a narrative of some point? Hmm. And here's the thing. In the U.S., as I said earlier, we are made to be free. We are a free country. We have freedom as, at our core. And people are starting to protest these lockdowns. And as more statistics become available, the lockdown is slowly becoming a powder keg. The USA is not like other countries. Freedom is far more important than safety. And more and more Americans are going to resist as time goes on. So recommendations are changing. Uh, information is changing. We are handling this virus day by day. But it is, it is in my humble opinion that the lockdown is essentially over because the people are going to start resisting all of these, well, recommendations or regulations to stay locked down. So I'm curious, you know, I'd love to hear your opinion on this topic. I'd love to hear what you're thinking. You know, I'm putting a data point down. You know, this is the 21st of April, 2020. I think, you know, in my opinion, we have, we have seen the beginning of the end, not the end, but the beginning of the end to the lockdown and this virus. And remember, on this show, we are crazy enough to go big. We're crazy enough to challenge conventional thinking. We're crazy enough to not follow the crowd. And guess what? We are crazy enough to win. Until next time.